Do you love the Word this morning? Are you ready for the Word this morning? I love the Word of God. It carries power. The Bible says that the world is upheld by the Word of His power. So, Father, we thank You for the Word today. Father, I pray that You would use my mouth to speak Your words and that your words that are anointed, because the words carry the anointing, and the anointing carries the power to destroy the yoke of bondage, doesn't just break it, it destroys it to the point it can never be put back together. So we thank you that those yokes of bondage will be broken off and destroyed by the word of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, who remembers what we're talking about? I'll just keep talking. We're talking, a disciple's life, Pastor Michael remembers, thanks baby, he's always got my back. A disciple's life, living for the well done. And so I have about a seminar's worth of stuff to share with you in 40 minutes. And so I'm going to just do a 30 second recap of last week. And so we talked about what a disciple is. A disciple is one not just that hears or learns from their master. A disciple's one that learns and does, that hears and does. The doing always comes with that. And we talked about, is Jesus Savior or is he Lord? And when we make him Lord, it's our choice. He becomes Savior when we accept him into our lives. But we make him Lord and we make ourselves his slave when we say, your will, not mine. When we say, I surrender my rights to you. I surrender my time, my tongue, my talent, my treasure. Everything I am belongs to you all the time. Use it as you will. And then we, he is Lord in our lives. And then we talked about the gifts that he gives us. That um, We looked at Matthew 25 where the, the master gave gifts to the servants and then they did something with them and then they were held accountable for what they did. And we said we all have been given gifts by the Spirit of God. We've all been given callings. We've all been given something to do from him. And we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give account for them. And so we looked at that a little bit last week. And then we talked about what the goal of the Christian life was. Does anybody remember what the goal is? Living for the well done. Our goal in life is to please him. And I know it's Valentine's weekend and we should be talking about love. And we kind of are because we want to always remember that love is the motivator for being a disciple. It's not just I have to, it's I get to. It's I want to. It's my goodness, you gave it all and I want to hold nothing back from you. The disciples gave their lives to him. The disciples made themselves his disciples. They followed him because of how good he was, because of how amazing he was. Not because they had to, but because they got to. And so we talked about that a little bit. And we're going to read just this real quick, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. This is where Paul is talking to them about communion. And he is closing it up by saying, every time you taste this bread and every time you place the cup to your mouths and drink, you are declaring the Lord's death. We're declaring his sacrifice, what he did for us. Declaring the Lord's death, which is the ultimate expression of his faithfulness and love until he comes again. 
And so when we, like we looked at last week, serving, and we looked at sacrifice, and when we make ourselves his disciple and choose to not just learn, but to learn and obey what his word says, when we do that, it's an ultimate expression of our love to him. So we want to keep that in mind, that it's always going to be motivated by love. So that was last week. This week, we're going to talk about what matters most and what's holding us back. Because how many of you have ever not walked in your full potential? How many of you have ever not obeyed a commandment of the Lord? Yeah. And so we want to take a look at what matters most and what's holding us back from doing that. And so we had a marriage encounter here in this week. Who was here for the marriage encounter? Was it awesome or was it we had, we, I'm just speaking for us now, we had so much fun. I don't think I've laughed that hard that long in a long time. We did a lot of laughing. And um, so we played this little icebreaker game on Friday night called the Not So Newlywed Game. So (laughs) how well do you know your spouse kind of thing? And so we kind of went through, the, there were seven questions, and we went through them before we even came in here, and I got two right, people, two right. <laughs> so, but one of those questions was, if there were a house fire, what one thing would your spouse grab on the way out the door? One thing. Okay, we're going to preface it with, We're not talking about people here, because we know our initial instinct, make sure my wife's okay, make sure my kids are okay, make sure my dog's okay. So not not people. Got the dog, got the dog in there. (laughs) Not people, what one thing would your spouse grab on the way out the door? How many of you think you know the answer to that regarding to your spouse? (laughs) Who said the TV? (laughs) So... um, what one thing would your spouse grab on the way out the door? And Pastor Michael's would be his? Guns. Mine would be my? Journals. My journals. I keep them all in one little place. I can replace pictures of my kids. I mean, I'm sure my family members have a ton of them. But I cannot replace all that unction by the Holy Spirit for 25 years that are wrapped up in my journals. So those are priceless to me. So that's the one thing other than, you know, people. The one thing I would grab on the way out the door would be my journals. And so we're going to talk about priority today. And the word priority was actually originated in the 14th century, and it means the highest in importance. Priority means the highest in importance. And so we're talking about what matters most, not what matters more, what matters most, the highest in priority. And actually, that word wasn't really used as a plural until the year 1940. Really? It was always singular. You know why? Because there can only be one highest. <laughs> it wasn't until 1940 here in the good old U.S. of A. that we decided we need to have lots of priorities. And that they can be different depending on what situation you're in. Your priority at home is different than your priority at work, is different than your priority at school, is different than your priority on vacation. So depending on what situation you're in, you need to have priorities, right? But that's not exactly accurate. Actually, it's not accurate at all because really there can only be one highest. And who should that highest be? God. God. 
We can only have one highest. And actually, our priorities are supposed to be, our priority is what's supposed to be what shapes and controls our decisions. Okay? And so if we can only have one priority, if we have make him the priority in our home and in our job and at school and on vacation and in the grocery store, then everything else is going to fall in line okay, isn't it? Because he is concerned about us and he's got wisdom. And if he's our priority and we stay connected to him, then he's going to guide and direct every other one of those situations so that your family does have your time, right? We're going to read uh, Matthew 6, 31 through 33. It says, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. That means that he needs to be above family. Oh, but my family needs to be important. I got to make sure that they're all taken care of and they have everything they want and they do everything they want, but it's my family, family, family. My kids, kids, kids. And our kids and our families are important. But Jesus said, That if we love father and mother and sister and brother, husband or wife, son or daughter, more than him, then we're not fit for the kingdom of God. He needs to be the priority. And that doesn't mean that we just never spend time with our family now and we just have to be this person who's always going, 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 giving, giving, giving because he's also a balanced God who said to honor your father and mother. He knows what he's doing. But we don't want to go ahead and make our family our idol. We still need to keep him up there. When I was little, it wasn't all about the kids. We were seen and not heard. (laughs) Anybody else? Yeah. And it's shifted over to this thing where it's all about the kids. And I think we just need to bring it back (laughs) into center a little bit and just make sure he is Lord And he is first, and he is the highest. Amen? So we're going to look at Matthew 25 again, our key section of Scripture. It says, Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. So I want to just draw attention to dividing it in proportion to abilities. Because he's not going to ask you anything to do that he doesn't give you the ability to do. He's not going to ask you to give $10 million if you only have 1000 in the bank. He's not going to ask you to do something you don't have the ability to do. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. 
After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. And the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many, many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Now, this is the servant that we want to focus on this week because we're looking at what matters most and what's holding us back. And the other two did something. They did what they were supposed to do, and this one didn't. So we're going to focus on, on this one this week. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I want you to read the next three words with me. I was afraid. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance from those who do nothing. Even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you weren't here, please go back and listen to the message on the podcast from last week because we talk about the fact this is not a salvation issue. Whether you use your gifts or not, you will go to heaven. It's all in the first one. We proved it. Bam. So go back and listen to that if you weren't here. We just want to take a look at this week though, what's holding us back because our priorities should be what's controlling our decisions, what's shaping our decisions. And there's a lot of things that are fighting for that control of decision-making in our lives. And we're going to talk about this one that the third servant dealt with, what held him back, what kept him from reaching his potential. And it was, I was afraid. And fear paralyzes. Fear will paralyze us from obeying the word of God and from doing what he's put in our hearts to do, from using our gifts. Fear is a paralyzer. And fear is also a feeling. You cannot help feeling fear. It's part of the autonomic nervous system. That means it happens without thought. So that means when something scares you, what happens? Your heart begins to raise. And I personally like to scare my family. I hide behind doors and scare my children for fun. (laughs) I know. I don't think they think it's fun. I think it's a lot of fun. But they just, you know, how you jump and your heart and your breathing. (sighs) You You scared me. Now, I don't think they ever once, when I scared them, had the thought, I need to act afraid now. No. (laughs) They never thought, oh, I should act afraid. It happens automatically. You cannot help feeling fear. But you can make a choice 
to not let fear act on your decisions. We can't help feeling it. And God, 365 sometimes in the Bible says, do not fear. But he never once said, do not feel fear. He says, do not be afraid. And a disciple, one who follows Christ, one who knows and does, feels fear and acts anyway. Because we're in full control. Because we're going to ask ourselves two questions when fear rises up. Is this holding me back? And what matters most? And then we're going to finish it all off with Luke 22, 39 through 42. Not the message, the questions. <laughs> Didn't want you all to think I was done. Luke 22, 39 through 42. It says, and he came out, this is talking about Jesus, the night he was going to be crucified. He went out and went, as was his habit, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not at all enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but always yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him in spirit. And being in agony of mind, he prayed all the more earnestly and intently, and his sweat became like great drops of blood dropping down upon the ground. And then he prays again, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, yours be done. Let this cup pass from me. Not my will, yours be done. And I like how Matthew twenty six thirty eight says it. He says, then he said to them, my soul is sad and deeply grieved so that I am almost dying of sorrow. He was facing something he was cringing at. He knew what was coming down the pike. He knew that they were going to beat him with strips of leather that had lead tied to the end of it that would shred his muscles, his skin, break off pieces of his bones. He knew he was going to be nailed to that cross and feel like suffocating for hours because of how it puts you on that cross. You had to push up with the feet that had the nails in them to get a breath. And then you'd scratch down to take the pressure off your feet. Tortured, tortured. And he knew that was coming. And he spent time in the garden praying, Lord, if it's at all possible to do this any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not what I want, what you want. Not my will, but yours be done. And so when we're facing things that make us cringe, when we're facing things that make us fear, because fear is the one we're talking about today. So many other reasons, but we're honing in on fear today because it seems like it affects everyone. That we're going to ask ourselves, is this holding me back? What matters most? And then end it all with not my will, but yours be done. And so this, every decision that we make and every time we feel this, and some of us are more fearful than others, and some of us cringe at things more than others, it's going to take work. I'm just telling you that right now. It's going to take work. And as I was preparing for this and studying this, it reminded me of something that I learned uh, in orientation for my son's foreign exchange student program. He's getting, our middle son's getting ready to go to France for a year. Help me, Lord. 
But I sat through a five-hour, everyone say five-hour? Five-hour. Five-hour orientation, 67 slides, all kinds of information, but this stuck out to me. Thank God they sent the slides home with us and <laughs> so I could look at them. But this is what stood out to me. They warned them and they warned us, since we would be the ones encouraging them when they get discouraged, that they are going to be very, very tired for the first few months. Not physically tired, but mentally tired. And Mitchell's got a couple years of French under his belt, but um, they said, it doesn't matter. You're going to get over there, and they're going to be talking to you in French. So you're going to hear it in French. You're going to translate it into English in your mind. And then you're going to come up with a French translation in your mind, and then you're going to speak it out. And they say, it's every time, every phrase, every word, every sentence. It's going to happen over and over and over. And that's going to be you all day long. And so for three or four months, it's going to be hard. You're going to be tired. You're going to get discouraged and feel like you're never going to get it and you're never going to make it. But hang tight because after the first three or four months, it'll be easy peasy. You'll just be speaking French. So, um, but this is what this reminds me of, because we're so programmed to think a certain way or to act a certain way or to let fear control us or to let these things make our decisions for us, that we're going to have to feel the fear and then consciously decide that's not going to happen because this is what the word of God says and what matters most and and what is this holding me back and we're going to end up with not my will but yours be done but it's going to take work and so I just want to I want to go through four different areas of fear so that we can see what we face and how to combat it amen Amen. so the first one we're going to talk about is the fear of letting people down who Anyone deal with that one? The fear of letting people down. It's a real deal. So we're going to read John 11, 1 through 7. And it says, A man named Lazarus was sick, and he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling them, Lord, Your very dear friend is sick. Jesus, you know, the one that you really, really love, yeah, he needs you right now. He's sick, and we want you to come heal him. Mm Mm-hmm. But when Jesus heard about it, he had compassion and went. Is that what it said? No. No. When Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And we all know the story. Lazarus died. His sisters were so disappointed in him because you didn't answer my prayer. And if you had just been here, he would have been healed. And we sent you a letter saying that the one that you love was sick and you needed to come and you didn't come. You know why he didn't come? Because Jesus is not moved by manipulation. He's not moved by somebody else's need. 
He wasn't even moved by his own emotions because he did, in fact, love Lazarus. He wept at the tomb. He wasn't moved by, I'm sure he wanted to go heal Lazarus. He knew he had the power to do it. How many other people had he healed? Multitudes. But he wasn't moved by his own emotions. He wasn't moved by their expectations. He wasn't moved by any manipulation. He was only moved by what he heard his father say and what he saw his father do. And I know, you might be thinking, what does this have to do with holding me back? And I just want to bring attention to something we talked about last week about over-serving. About saying yes to everything. Because I don't want to let someone down. I'm sure he didn't want to let Mary and Martha down. He loved them. They, They would eat dinner at their house a lot. I say yes to everything and everyone, so I don't let them down. But then when it comes time to do the thing that he's put in your heart to do, you're so tired, and you're so busy, and your calendar's so full that you can't do it. How many times has a pastor told you not to serve too much? (laughs) But this can hold you back from fulfilling your potential. Over-serving is not a healthy thing. We need to say, anytime an opportunity comes up, Father, is this your will? Is this what you want me to do? And it's hard, isn't it? Because when you're sensitive and you really want to please and you want people to like you and you want all that goodness going on, it's hard to say no. And we're still going to say no kindly, This isn't saying be mean. No, I'm not ever helping you again. It's saying I'm not led by manipulation. I'm not led by a need. Not led by my emotions. I'm led by what God leads me to do. And that even means if you're tired. Father, did you say do this? And if he says yes, then guess what you get to do? You get to say what matters most, me or him? Ending it all with not my will, but yours be done. So we're not going to let this fear of letting people down keep us out of our potential because we're too exhausted to do it. Amen? The next fear we're going to look at, one of my personal favorites, the fear of missing out. FOMO, baby. We've all heard of YOLO. Now we got FOMO. (laughs) The fear of missing out. And this is a big one, and I hear it a lot, and I have used it quite a bit. I can't serve in children's because I would miss out on service. And man, service is just so good. The worship is awesome. And the presence of God is awesome. And I leave so refreshed and filled. And I just can't do that because he knows I need this. Oh, Miss Stephanie has an answer for that. She said you go to first service and then you serve in second service. (laughs) You're not helping my point here. (laughs) Fear of missing out. I can't give that $50 like you put in my heart to give to my neighbor because, Lord, those shoes that I've had my eye on are finally on sale and I can afford them. Because I'm afraid I'll miss out on this if I commit to this. 
Anybody? (laughs) I could raise both hands. So we're afraid of missing out. But we actually really, when we say no to him and yes to ourselves, we're really missing out. You just don't know what you're missing. You really, really just don't know what you're missing. And um, last week we talked about sacrifice, right? Laying it down for him. Sacrifice. Life really isn't about me. I've made my, him Lord. I've made myself disciple. I've been bought with a price. My life is not my own. And the permeating uh, thing in this culture is what's in it for me. Anybody ever ask that? And I'm taking this writer's course because eventually I want to write a book when I can get over the next fear we're going to discuss. And um, <laughs> I have fear too. But um, I've, so I'm taking this online writer's course and I was listening to one of the things and they were just encouraging you that when you're getting ready to put your outline together, you need to make sure it has value. You need to make sure it has a value for the reader because they're going to be investing into it and you want to tell them what's in it for them. Right? Right? Mm -hmm. Which is fine because that's a product and they're consumers. What's in it for me? If I'm going to spend my money on this and most importantly, spend my time reading it, I really want to know what's in it for me. But the thing is that that consumerism has carried over into the kingdom of God. What's in it for me? And that attitude is the antithesis of what Jesus lived. And if I may say it this way, it's the spirit of Antichrist. Because <laughs> it is anti-Christ's example. He didn't ask what's in it for me. He said, I love you and I love them. I will. So we don't want to just be asking what's in it for me. We're going to talk about this a little more next week when Pastor Michael talks about the cost of the calling. But here's the flip side of that coin. You ready? When you live a generous life and you live that life of sacrifice and you live that life of service and you overcome that fear of missing out, he always blesses you when you serve. If you decide to, it's not like a payday where you go work in children's today and then he pays you when you walk out of the room. doesn't always happen that way. But I can challenge you and yet guarantee you that if you're living a, a life of sacrifice and generosity and service to him and your life is not my will but yours be done, that you will be more blessed than ever before in your life. And when he borrowed the disciples' boat, right, to go out and preach so that his voice was magnified on the water so more people could hear him, he came back in and he said, all right, go out because there's fish out there now. And they went out and dropped their nets and brought back more fish than they could even carry. It was breaking their nets. And it amazed them so much that they pulled up on shore and left it all, the Bible says, and followed him. Because he matters most. And I love this because I was talking to a friend of mine, Trish Finn. She's actually here today. And um, she helps me with some stuff. And we have 
lunch, try to once a month. She really, really, I love having lunch with her. She encourages me. And um, she was talking about how she got started in working with the kids and how it was on your gift quest to work with kids. And she was like, oh, (laughs) that's not what I wanted to see there. And then it was a couple other places and a couple other people mentioned it. And everywhere she turned around, it was smacking her in the face. You should work with kids. You should work with kids. You should work with kids. She went kicking and screaming. Not, no. (laughs) But reluctantly into class and came out with tears because she received more from God in that service that she served those kids than she did in service. And it's more, and the Bible even said it's more blessed to than So we don't want to let the fear of missing out keep us from fulfilling our destiny. And sometimes it works with sin this way too. And sin is a deceiver. And it's going to tell you, if you follow God's commands, you're going to miss out on all this fun. Right? That's boring. This is fun. And it sparkles and it shines and it's all glittery for a second. (laughs) There is pleasure in sin for a minute, or nobody would do it, right? But it's a deception. It's wooing you over here saying, you're missing out on all this fun. But there's nothing in sin past that moment of pleasure that doesn't contain destruction and damage and shame and regret. Anyone ever lived in sin? I think we all did. We've all sinned. Anyone not regret it? (laughs) Everyone I've ever talked to that has lived in sin has always regretted it. But anyone I've talked to that hasn't gone that path are like, hey, (laughs) this is awesome. I don't have that testimony. I don't have the testimony of being delivered out of it. I have the testimony of being kept from it. And I don't have all that shame and baggage and regret to get rid of. So when we face that fear of missing out, we need to be asking ourselves, is this fear holding me back from reaching my potential? What matters more, him or me? And end that all with not my will but yours be done. The next one is the fear that I'm not enough. Who's ever had that one? I have a daily. <laughs> the fear that I'm not enough. We're going to look at Matthew 3 real quick. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. Anyone ever tried to talk God out of what he's asked you to do? John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now, what if John would have let his insecurity hold him back from obeying what God put on his heart 
to do, or what Jesus asked him to do. Jesus wouldn't have been baptized with the Holy Spirit right there. The voice of heaven wouldn't, or the heavens wouldn't have opened to hear the voice of God. Our obedience is important for other people too. It doesn't just affect us when we say, oh, I can't do that, I'm not enough. I can't be baptized by you. you. I need to be baptized by you. I can't baptize you. Moses tried to talk God out of it. I can't do that because I stutter. The 12 spies, when Moses sent them into the land, they came back and talked everybody out of it. <laughs> They're too big. They're too strong. We're too small. We're too weak. We can't do it. The fear of not enough. But God's response to that over and over and over was, I am with you and I am enough. He doesn't need our strength. He doesn't need our intelligence. He doesn't need us except for to have a vessel to say, not my will, but yours be done. Right? So we faced this for a long time. Pastor Michael had in his heart to make a CD. A long time, years and years and years. And every time we talked about it, guess what our conversation ended with? We don't have enough. We can't do that, Lord. We don't have enough. So we'd set it aside because we were afraid (laughs) to, to make that commitment We were afraid to move forward, no matter what he said, because we didn't have enough. Got three mouths to feed, we've got mortgage payment, we've got all this stuff, and it's thousands of dollars to make a CD. So he just finally came up in his heart so strong. Was that just last year? Two years ago. Two years ago, 2015. He's like, I gotta do this. And so he met with the producer of the record company and signed on the dotted line. Do you know how much money we had in the bank? A big goose egg. We had no money. We had no money for this project. And trepidatiously, he's signing his life away. (laughs) But guess what? God was faithful and brought in every penny of that. And he would come home some days and say, so-and-so gave me a check for $500 for this CD. And we would just cry. You know why? Because so-and-so let God leave his fingerprints of faithfulness on our lives through his obedience. And he may have not had enough, but he didn't let the fear of that hold him back from obeying God. We cannot let fear hold us back. The fear of not enough. If God puts it in our heart to do it, and he is in us. He was with them in the Old Testament. He's in us in the New Testament. And if God is in me, then I am enough. If God is in me, I am enough. That's not pride. That's confidence in the God in me. I'm not enough by myself. But if God is in me, I am enough. Amen? Amen. The last fear, and then we'll be done, is probably the biggest one the most people deal with is the fear of failure. Anybody? That's why I haven't written a book. (laughs) To be honest with you, the fear of failure. 
And this fear will paralyze you in place and you will never move forward. And I think that this fear is rooted in the fear of criticism. Right? Right? It's not just that we're going to fail. It's that we're going to fail and then what will people think? I can't go lay hands on that person for healing because what if they don't get healed? What will they think of me? Right? Right? I can't tithe, Lord, because what if I tithe and then I can't pay my bill? What will they think of me? Fear of criticism. What if I host that event? Talking as the pastors now. Fear that I deal with. What if I have a sisterhood event and nobody comes? What will they think of me? Anybody ever deal with this? I can't do this. What if I fail and then what will they think? I can't write that book. What if I sit down to write it and I fail? And it's horrible. And not only nobody reads it, but that the ones that do read it then criticize me. What will they think of me? But we need to be asking ourselves, what matters most? Because it's none of our business, really, what people think of us. It's our business what he thinks of us. And growth is success even if it looks like failure. I'll say that again. Growth is success even if it looks like failure. You did it and you fell flat on your face, but did you grow? And did you learn anything? Because if you did, then the next time you go to do it, you're going to do it different. And you're going to do it better. And you're going to do it stronger. And it's going to be more successful. Right? And not only that, but Jesus didn't care what anybody thought of him. He asked his disciples one time, who who does man say that I am? Oh, that you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Or you're Elijah, you're the prophet, you're this, you're that. Guess what? Every single one of them was wrong. What does it matter what they think of you? Because if they're not thinking about you what he thinks about you, they're wrong. Yes, that will set us free. That's why it doesn't matter what they think about me. Unless they're thinking about me what he's thinking about me, they're wrong. (sighs) Everyone just say they're wrong. wrong. Doesn't it feel good to be right? I like to be right. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus didn't let the fear of failure hold him back. He went into his own hometown, prayed for the sick, and guess what? The Bible said he could there do no mighty works. So did he just go tuck his tail between his legs and hide and never pray for the sick again? No. You know why? Because it's not the results that are ours to do. It's ours to put forth the effort. It's ours to obey, and it's his to do the results. Right? The servant wasn't held accountable for the results or for the... Yeah, for the results, he was accountable for the effort. The first two that he praised, he praised that they put in the effort. I think if the one with five talents would have said, I invested him and got two back, he'd have said, well done. Because it's not the results. It's not ours. 
That's not ours to carry. Ours is to obey, and it's his to do the do. It's his to do the results, amen? And so when we're facing that fear of failure, and it has paralyzed us, we can look at it and say, you are not holding me back anymore. And you start talking to yourself. And a month, a few months ago, I was struggling with this. I was paralyzed with fear about writing, even writing my blog or writing a book, and I can't do this, and I'm not smart enough, and I don't know enough, and no one will read it, and, and, and nobody wants to hear what I have to say, and, and I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then I started talking to myself, because he said, I called you to it. Yes, you can. And I'm fighting back and forth, and I wrote a song that I'm not going to sing to you. (laughs) But I am going to read it to you. And I was so discouraged to the point of being depressed. When I I was depressed over all of this. And so I just wrote this down. It says, discouragement is raging. Hope is fighting for its place within my soul. I'm weary, yet I'm strengthened, falling on your grace, surrendering control. As I bow before the throne of the God who knows my name. How personal. And I pray to the one who holds my future in his hands. I choose to sing. Fear does not get to make our decisions for us. I choose to sing. Hallelujah to the Lamb. 10,000 praises to my King. Hallelujah to the one who took my place and died for me. And as, as I was singing that over and over and over, I think I annoyed my family with it. And I just kept, I kept singing it then louder and louder. And I promise you, I don't sing well. That's not an exaggeration. I don't sing well at all. And then I wrote, the greater one is inside. Why do I doubt the God in me? And that's what fear, that's where that fight comes in because we're seeing the fear and that thing makes us feel afraid and we're seeing it as bigger than us and God is saying, but I'm bigger, don't doubt the God in you. Why do I doubt the God in me? But faith replaces fear as I'm reminded of his faithfulness to me. You talk yourself into it. Because fear is trying to talk you out of it. The enemy of your souls wants to talk you out of reaching your potential with fear. And it has not earned the right to control our decisions. He is the only one who has done that. Amen. 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 So as a disciple, as one who feels the fear and does it anyway, we're going to remember to ask ourselves these questions when we're facing fear. Am I going to let it hold me back? What matters most? Not my will, but yours be done. He wants to leave his fingerprints on this earth through our lives. Are we going to let fear keep us from doing that? Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.
We have refused to teach or preach anything unless we live it first. You need to understand this is a passionate thing in our hearts to teach you what the Word of God has to say about you and about us and why we do what we do. If we're going to get the if we're going to get the glory for our accept, our successes Come on. You see where we're going here with this? What motivates you to do it? God, I want to pray for people so they get healed so people know my name and then then I can go on a world tour and pray for people. Shh. What did we just read in the word of God in John 15? So that he might be glorified. It's all about him, not my will. What is his will? That the kingdom of God would come down to earth. This is what it is all about. Learning to get what is in the word into us and not just in us, but allow the word of God to be at work through us. James says, don't just be hearers, but be of the word of God. That's what this is all about. We want to get you not only self-feeding, but then doing the word of God. I prophesied this over first service and I'm going to just say it over you because it's just strong to do it again. 2017 Victory Christian Center. That's you. No, 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 no. I'm I'm Warren Campus. No, you're Warren, you're Victory Christian Center. Listen to this. But you're kingdom of God. You're part of the kingdom of God. And this is what I feel like the Lord is saying. This is the year we push past fear. Any fear. This is the year we push past FOMO. This is the year we push past uh, what other people think. This is the year that we push, push past and accomplish the goals, the dreams, the desires that he's placed on the inside of you because he's put them in you so that you might accomplish something for the kingdom. Not for you, not for me, not for this house, but for the kingdom of God so that he might be glorified. Why did he give you the dream? Why did he give you the giftings? Why did he give you the abilities so that you might glorify him through what you have? What you have is not just for you alone. My wife told me that for years. Oh, I can't write these. I can't do these songs. I can't put these songs out. This is just for me. This is what happens in the bedroom when I just play my guitar and sing to the Lord. And she would say by the Holy Spirit, it's not just for you. It's not just for you. It's for others. What you have been given does not belong to you. So it's good to understand that because when the time comes for him to say to you, lay that down. Okay, God. It's not mine. I do this for your glory. That's what Jesus did. Not my will. But your will. Amen. This is the year that we be ourselves. This is the year that we know our God. And this is the year that we do His Word. Without fear. Period. Amen. Would you stand with us? Man, this is getting good. Come on in, the water's fine. And it's just getting better. 
Man, 2017 is going to be a crazy fantastic year. And it's just getting started. So we bless you in the mighty name of Jesus, that name that is above every name, that name that defeats the enemy, that name that crushes Satan's head. We bless you to understand that you are full of the power of God, that you know his word and his revelation on the inside of you becomes passionate and that you do the word without fear of whatever anybody thinks, including yourself. We bless you to ignore the voices that would say and to speak against you, but we bless you to hear the voice of your daddy and to flow with the Holy Spirit and to do those things that he lays on your heart and you see those things that he does in the mighty name of Jesus. We bless you to change the world around you. In Jesus' name. Listen, can I just make two quick announcements and these are very important, so I'm asking you to hold on just for a second. We started life groups this week. Man, they're getting good. If you did not sign up for one, the next session begins in June. My wife has a few open spots right here, excuse me, right here in the, um, in the building on Wednesday nights. And uh, dear friends of ours, Chris and Trish Vince have a life group that has not begun last week. It's going to begin this week on Wednesday nights at six o'clock. Let me just tell you, how many of you are guardians or parents or grandparents? This, this study is phenomenal. It's called Shepherding the Ch- Your Child's Heart, correct? I might have messed it up. But it's a, it's a family-oriented um, life group. Listen to me. It's here. It's right here on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock. You're gonna have, there's going to be child care, and it's also providing uh, biblical, solid biblical teachings. So see them. Um, the sign-up sheet is at the children's check-in. You do not want to miss this. Please make yourselves available. This is going to be a powerful. And the last thing, um, those of you who are involved in the Warren Victory Ministry team currently involved in it, um, I know we've got a few folks that we're getting ready to, uh, to get on. We're having a meeting uh, right in the uh, student union. So Janessa... She's already gone that back that way. You will meet Janessa back there, and um, we will begin our meeting uh, shortly. So God bless you all. We love you, and we can't wait to see what God has in store for you next. Amen? Amen. God bless you as you go.